I'll try to keep it a little short today. I mean, I've got stuff to say, but I think it's, I think it's important that we remind ourselves why we're here as, as followers of Jesus. I try to do this every Sunday. I think it's important, this understanding that we are disciples to Jesus in this world that we live in. And we are meant to be disciples to Jesus in the good, the bad, and the ugly. When things are going well, when things are going badly, we are still to be his disciples. And the, the, the Bible is a, a record or a narrative of God's people and how they engaged and lived in the world despite everything that was going on. I mean, just the, just the Gospels are full of trouble. I mean, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And I think one of the things, it's important for us to remember this idea of fear not. The reason we fear not is because Jesus is with us. That's why we can live as disciples, because Jesus is with us. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because you are with us. And that's the promise. In 1 Peter, um, in the beginning, we've read this a few times as well, but it's the whole basis of whatever we talk about in this letter that we're going through is, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, mercy, what is, what's our definition of mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, which is actually rejection. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And we know that this world, this life that we live in, in its current form, is one that is passing. And we, we, God knows all those things, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's the thing that differentiates Christianity from any other philosophy or religion or anything, is the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus died and came back from the dead because of that resurrection, it is the promise of this hope that there will be resurrection for all of us from the dead. where We will receive our bodies back in a new glorified way and we will live eternally with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And we have to live with that expectation. That's what gives us hope to live now. And remember what I've said? If we don't believe that, we have no right in praying for healing now. Because that's the assurance. We pray now because of that. And so I think... We need to continually remind ourselves of that. Um, it, gives, it gives the basis to the whole gospel. Otherwise, the gospel is absolutely meaningless if there's no resurrection. And if you read 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks about that very clearly. If there's no resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow. We, you know, die and just... We don't, we don't live... We live with an expectation that God is going to make all things right. And whether we pass today or in a hundred years, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And that moment we will be with God and it'll be done. It's a beautiful thing. We have to live like that. All right. So as we wrestle with what Buzz is going through, who knows what happens on our way home in the car? I mean, we just live in that chaos of a world. And so um, is that all right? I want us to always be reminded. We don't, want, we don't want to tiptoe around what actually needs to be said. And that is God is alive and is for us. Right? All right. Let me quickly read the text for today and we'll see how far we get. Um, I think it's an important one. So we're in, one, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
And we've been looking at the whole context is how do we as believers, and this applies right now to what we're going through, how do we as believers live as exiles, aliens in this world when actually we know our hope is in a future world, in a future new heaven and a new earth? How do we live in this world where all around us is uh, violence, all around us is people are against uh, Jesus, against the faith, against all those things, everyone's, every person for themselves, how do we live as aliens and strangers in such a culture? Um, and he, he speaks about how Jesus submitted himself to his father and to the culture, actually, so that we could live. And how in different relationships that we've seen before, learning submission for the sake of the gospel, not for any other reason, for the sake of the gospel, that we don't lose our message before we even start. So now he goes on and he says in verse 8 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, Finally... Finally, all of you, I wish it was finally, but then you've got another two chapters. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that's a quote from Psalm 33. Um, basically, right now, Paul has dealt with all these different relationships that, that the church can relate to in the culture that it finds itself. And we're looking at 2,000 years ago. So it's, it's, it's slaves to masters. It's... Um, Wives to husbands. It's husbands to wives. It's how we relate to the ruling powers and the governments. And now he says, finally, all of you. So he's talking now to all the believers and saying, how do we relate to this culture on a regular level and to one another? And I think what he's saying is, if we are going to be a community of refuge and a community where we truly support one another, there are certain qualities that need to be evident. And he gives us five of them. And we're going to look at them briefly. Um, be like-minded, be understanding or sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. Five characteristics of what it means for the community of faith to live in a way that engages the world in its culture, and we'll see why it's important, and to one another. And it's interesting that those words, if you look at Greek culture, Greco-Roman culture, and you go and study their history, and I've been reading a bunch of commentaries to get to this point, is that these words are what were spoken about of family in those days. The family needed to be like-minded. The family needed to be humble. The fa- all these things. And when Peter writes it and he applies it to the church, he's actually what he's implying is that the church is a family. Number one. And we can read about that in the earlier parts of 1 Peter. But through the Father, we've been saved. We've become a family. He's the Father. We are this family. So he applies these things that would traditionally be to the regular family. He applies to the church. But it is also then kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Re- almost a rebellious attitude towards the culture. Because in those days, the family was the family. That was the ben- be-all and end-all. And now suddenly here comes these people and say, but this is also the family. This is actually the eternal family. This is the family that is going to share the inheritance 
If you are not part of that, you might be part of this nuclear blood family, but if you're not part of this, you're missing out. That's offensive to the culture. Which is what we find today. When we say the church is God's people, and uh, it's offensive to the culture. What was 2,000 years ago is today. It's the same sort of understandings. It's inappropriate. We are divisive people. We're threatening to the order because we claim whatever. I mean, that's what... Just read CNN, read the newspaper, read. The church is, is, has become a threat to the evolving culture. Well, it was like 2,000 years ago, so nothing's really, really changed. The interesting thing is that the, the Bible, the early church, n- not once ever endorsed animosity towards the broader family of those who are outside of Jesus. They always said no love, care. In fact, it goes on to say, as a wife, remember earlier, a wife, if you're married to an unbelieving husband, live in a submissive way so that you might win him. It doesn't say leave him. It doesn't say reject him. We don't have that. The church is, is supposed to be something else, but it is a threat to culture. And I remember someone saying years and years ago, if what we are saying and the way that we are living doesn't cause an uproar, we're actually doing something wrong. Because actually living the gospel should actually create a for all. Because it really flies in the face of anything. So there are these five characteristics. Be like-minded, understanding. I'm reading from the NIV here, by the way, sorry. Which says sympathetic, love one another, compassionate, humble. Um, These are really important things to help us. And they really challenge kind of the modern Western understanding of individualism. Somehow we have to fight that. I don't know how we fight that. It's just, that's the culture. Individualism for yourself. And yet the gospel and the way that the church means to operate, the, may, we, the, the way we're meant to engage is exactly the opposite. Last night, Linda and I went out for an early dinner. And we went to Little Beast, which is a lovely place to go. And there was a family sitting next to us. You know, if I may say this with all, the all-American family. Mom and dad, two little girls, and they were dressed for it. It was just beautiful. And, and, then the, and mom said, girls, what do you want to do tomorrow? Do you want to go for a run? Do you want to do yoga? Or do you want to go to church? What's that saying? Saying it's just one of the options. And the girls said, we want to run. Okay, we'll go run around the Rose Bowl. That, that is, it's, it's an option. But actually... As family, whether it's your nuclear family or whether it's the family of the church, that's not an option. It's actually integral to the life of, of, of God's people together, to be together, to love one another and share life together. When it becomes an option. So I was with a, sociolo- a leader guy, a sociologist two weeks ago, and he, the latest stat is that Christian, those who classify themselves as born-again, evangelical, whatever Christians, go to church 1.4 times a month. Crazy, eh? Let's go running or, sorry about running, or whatever. But I'm just saying, it's that these things, when you actually apply them and live them out, actually it's a challenge to the culture and makes it really, really hard. So what does like-minded mean? Does it mean we just got to think all the same thing? We've got to like the same books, the same movies, you know, whatever, same clothes, is that what like-minded means? Actually, in those days, like-minded meant to, meant to share a common heritage of faith and ethical tradition. 
and you're like-minded, we did things together the same. And so it, it, it helped create cohesion in the culture. Now today, nobody's like-minded. The only like-minded we are is that we're all different. And so I don't know if you read in the in a news broadcast, uh, one of the musicians, Ronson, whatever his name is, I can't remember, has come out as sapiosexual. He has declared himself to be sapiosexual. Does anyone know what sapiosexual means? It means that they are attracted on the basis of intelligence above anything else. doesn't matter looks, sex, gender. No, we are attracted on the basis of intelligence, sapiosexual. Just make things up as you go along, kind of. But anyway, it's the like-mindedness of what we had before that created cohesion is no there. We are a, a people scattered. But I'm talking about culture. And what we are seeing in the church, and I mean this is sociologically apparent, is that the church is embracing the culture. So instead of us impacting the culture, the culture is impacting us, and we are just doing what the culture does. We dress like the culture, we eat like the culture, we do it. Just and actually what Peter's saying here is that the church needs to be a like-minded people. We need to have something that we hold and believe that keep, makes us cohesively attracted and together to, with one another that's different. I don't know how we do that. I, think it's, I don't know if we've lost that war. I, I, don't, I want to believe that we haven't. But it's really hard. But if we're going to be like-minded, it's like, how do we bond this thing? I think like-mindedness is perhaps the foundational value of the Christian community. Because it's the one thing that unifies, it doesn't matter what sex you are, what religion you are, what, I mean, not what religion, what ethnic color you are, what language you speak, the gospel can unite us all. We can be like-minded despite all the other differences. And so when we read the scriptures and we we see that the church is this new humanity, this new people on the earth that represents all the peoples of the earth. We're meant to be there, but we have to be like-minded. What is it that's holding us together? What is keeping us glued to one another? Um, like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, one's needs, one's expectations to the purposes of the larger community. That's what like-mindedness means in its context. All right? We are like-minded. We enjoy the same movies. That's not what like-minded means in the context of Scripture. Like-minded means our goals, our needs, our expectations are together for the purposes of Jesus' community. We are here to serve Jesus in community for the sake of a broken world that we engage. All right? I would hazard a guess that mostly we don't do that. The church is here to serve our needs. And um, we'll figure a way through. We need to have the sense of being sympathetic or understanding is, an, is another way of saying it. It's, it, it's, it. it's asking us to see things from another person's point of view. It means getting into someone else's shoes. It means abandoning preconceived ideas. So when we call to be an understanding group of people, what does it mean 
You know, I think in our culture, which is shifting so much, we are, what, what did it mean for me as a man to understand what it is to be a woman and the challenges that a woman faces? I've got I to learn that. What does it mean for me as a white person to walk in the shoes or understand the shoes that a black person walks in? That's different. And they're just minor things that are different. What does it take for me as a wealthy person to walk in the shoes of someone who has nothing and understand their needs and wants? And actually the church is meant to have all of that together. We're meant to have the colors, the languages, the rich, the poor, all sorts of things together. And we do that with understanding, growing in our love for one another and the way that presents a beautiful image family of what Jesus is like to the world. When women feel unsafe, the church should be the place where they run to. But when we watch the TV and we see all the news reports, it's actually the place they want to run from. How tragic is that? In, when we were in South Africa one time, there was a very large church in Johannesburg. 10,000 people, at least. And they had asked a man... Some of you, uh, uh, Arthur Blessed. Has anyone heard of Arthur Blessed? Arthur Blessed is an American. I think he's still alive. And he walked around the world carrying a big cross. And he's a real evangelist. And they asked him to come and speak. And he said he'd love to speak. So they were waiting for him. And then the meeting was sort of going. And Arthur Blessed arrived. And he walked into the building and down the aisle to walk to the front. And the ushers picked him up, turned him around, and took him outside the church. Because he came in dirty jeans and a t-shirt and he was barefoot. Because that's how he carried his cross. And they chucked him out. And he was the speaker. Because it shouldn't be. Somehow we have to learn this thing of understanding. We need to love one another. I'm not going to cover that. We've covered that in so much detail over time. Humility. What is Humility. Humility was not something that was a good thing in those days. If you, if you, if you were humble, you, you were someone, you, it was a sign of weakness. It was a way that you shamed people, etc., etc. But actually, Jesus was humble. What, I think that the essence of humility is that, is that we trust God. We trust in God that He's got our back. And therefore, we can obey and do the things He asks us to do, which might seem inconvenient, which might seem bizarre, it might lead to all sorts of things, but we're trusting that he's with us, he's got our back, and therefore we can subject ourselves. And, you know, in the days of slavery, Wilberforce and all those guys, when they were ministering to slaves and, and in the courts, in the House of Parliament, trying to deal with slavery, many people sold themselves into slavery that they might reach the slaves. Think about that. People who left family to go to foreign lands in those days on no airplanes, knowing they might never see their wives and children again for the sake of the gospel. You know, Jim Elliott, who went to South America to a tribe of cannibals or whatever, got killed. And a few years later, his family came in, and because of that, the whole tribe got saved. There's a, there's a humility. It seems weird. The world doesn't like it, but we, we don't have to defend our own honor. Jesus got our back. And there's a day coming when those who have humbled themselves will be lifted up. Because it speaks that about Jesus. 
And then lastly is this idea of compassion. In our world, compassion, oh, I just got compassion on that poor person sitting on the side of the road. It's kind of, oh, they're so weak, I have compassion. Or, you know, those, those people that lost their house in the fire or the flood or the whatever. Actually, in ancient times, compassion, that wasn't compassion. When they used compassion here, they were talking about how it was to show kindness to your family. How to live a kind way with your family, to share and build up. So in Peter's writing in the church, this new family, we need to have compassion upon one another. It wasn't say, oh, poor Betsy, she hasn't got her own house yet. Oh, shame. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means, no, we are kind, we're loving, and we lift each other up, and how do we bless one another? These things are countercultural to our culture, as they were countercultural to the culture 2,000 years ago. And they're a challenge. The problem is the whole gospel is a challenge. So I don't know how you preach without challenging. I want to preach nice messages, but I just don't know how to. Except that God loves you and loves me and loves us. And to watch a person stand up and say, ah, you get Jesus and all your problems will go away. And I'm thinking, I don't know if we're on the same planet because I received Jesus and all problems started happening. All right. Is that okay? I could say more. I'm going to leave it at that. He says then, verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Just summary. We need to be a blessing despite evil. So this is a serious way out on how to live the gospel in our world. When people are against the gospel, they're against people who follow Jesus. We are bigots. Whatever they want to say, the, the way... And they, they use the language of, that wants to antagonize us and, and whatever. It's like, an, it's like a shame culture. Now, what we can do is say, I'm going to repay fire with fire. So I'm also going to become nasty. I'm going to fight dirty. I'm going to tell you what you like. Actually, the challenge of the gospel is don't do that. Actually, do the exact opposite. Now, anyone find that easy? I don't. Sometimes some, you just want to punch them. You see, uh, the tendency of the fallen human nature is re- to retaliate. That's what, that's what we're called to do, you know? Hit me, I'll hit you back. That's where feuding and tribal warfare in Africa started. You killed my brother, I'll kill your brother. Oh, and I'll kill your sister. Oh, I'll kill your sister, and it just goes on. Yeah, we watch mafia movies. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. Um, and I think if we, if we were to refrain from retaliation, whether it's just verbal retaliation, going back verbally, or and, I, and let me tell you, I'm an expert at it. On this one, I have a faster mind than Busby. He's got the fastest mind of anyone I've ever met. But on this one, I'm fast. Someone wants to insult me, I can come back with a just like that I am really good. It's, it's a sign of the fallen nature. That's what it is. And we need, I need to ask Jesus into that part of my life to help me. Do you know how many times I've had a go at someone through the window of my car to another car? All sorts of things. I can give you story after story. And it's like, oh no. And then you drive, oh. It was such a great witness. Um, we actually meant to offer blessing. 
Bless those who curse you. Bless. You know, Genesis 12, which is the beginning of the great story of the gospel, actually. It's the calling of Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. As believers, have we been blessed? You know, I don't like that language because it almost falls under a certain church culture. Oh, I'm so blessed, brother. But we have received incredible blessing in Jesus. We've received eternal life and assurance. All these things. We're meant to be a blessing. Um, I think it would help us in the church as well. We, there's so much fighting in the church as well. Yeah. Be in church a, a, a week and you just realize, oh, that one doesn't like that one and this one's angry with that one and this one got invited to dinner and that one didn't. And no, 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 no. Just become a blessing. Just become a blessing. Um, Jesus said it this way. He said we, call, we should love our enemies. And, and love in our culture, in our world right now, love means just that emotion that we feel that's more than I like you. Huh? So I, I like Heidi. But the emotion, she, and when she gets up here and reads the Bible, it's, oh, I, no, I have a greater emotion than just like, I love Heidi. But that's actually not what's happening here. When Jesus asks us to love our enemies, He's, what he's really saying is, will you do them good? Will you act upon way to do your enemy good? And then he tells the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Because they want to know who's the neighbor. How do you do someone good? So when someone does you a bad turn, bless them and do them a good turn. When someone slaps you on the cheek, punch them in the nose. Is that what it says? No, you turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean you literally turn the other cheek. It's no. It's saying, you can bring anything you like at me, but I will love you and I will care for you no matter what. You see what ultimately wins the day. Um, I think we do that, we break a cycle. I think we can break a cycle if we begin to live like that. It's hard. I'll touch on that in a moment. So not only are we, so just a reminder, not only we're called not to retaliate, because there's one thing, Dan comes and insults me. And I'm, you know, I'm fighting in my Christian faith and I don't retaliate because I want to say something to Dan and I don't say it. That's good. But that's not what we call what we have said. Now I've got to go back and bless. It's not just not retaliating, it's now acting as well in the opposite spirit and blessing. Um how many of you know why when? Youth with a mission. So you, youth with a mission, one of their core values is to act in the opposite spirit. So when apartheid was at its highlight in South Africa and all the organizations and things were pulling out of South Africa, YWAM increased their presence. Not because they endorsed apartheid, but because their value is to act in the opposite spirit. Everyone was pulling out, they engaged. And when everything changed, who do you think had the, a great influence in that country? Why when? Because everyone else had gone. We're called to act like that. So it's not only not retaliating, we have to bless. Okay? It's, 
in the Greek word eulijo, it actually means to speak well of a person. So Dan insults me. And then I stand up and say, guys, I'd like to tell you about Dan. Man, isn't he a wonder? I do the... Ex- if, if the system really works, then he sits there thinking, oh my goodness. Maybe he doesn't. So it might take superhuman strength to, do, to live like that. It really might. But actually, I believe it's, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's where the rubber hits the road. It's easy to love people who love you. Jesus speaks about that. Give to those who give to you. You know, you only invite those into your home that have invited you into their home. No, no, invite those who have no ability to invite you. Do good to those who can't do good to you. That's the way we're meant to live it. So we're not going to do this with clenched teeth and I've got to bless Dan. I'm not going to do it like that. I want to say, Jesus, come and deal with inside of me. Live inside of me. That I might show you to Dan and live in freedom. Um, is that all right? And then the next little bit, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm going to give you a heading and a line, and if I could leave it at that, it's all right. It says, basically, God is against those, including Christians, who do evil. That's what this next bit is saying. Don't do evil. God will resist you if you do evil. You've got to turn away from it. Turn toward God and be obedient to Him. Is that all right? So, Conclusion. Nice short message. I don't believe you can do this in your own strength. Just don't believe it's possible. I believe we have to trust the guidance and the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said we need the Holy Spirit. When he called us to be witnesses to the world, and witnesses to the world was not merely the witness of the resurrection of Jesus, etc. But it's to witness to the life of the resurrection, which means I learned to love my enemies and love my neighbor, all those things. And he said, don't go, don't go until you receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot live this life without the Holy Spirit. All right? And what I mean by the Holy Spirit, I'm not meaning you receive the Holy Spirit and you can speak in tongues. I'm not against that. But the power of the Holy Spirit to actually live gospel life in a broken and dark world. We need the Holy Spirit. And the maturing of the Holy Spirit in your life through allowing Him to work will produce mature fruit of the Spirit. What are some of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, all that. Those will mature and they'll become easier and easier. See, when Jesus was being antagonized before the cross, what was his response? Sorry? Yeah, that was on the cross. Before the cross. Just kept silent. See, a sign of maturity is when someone antagonizes you, you don't have to defend yourself. No, no, I didn't mean that. That's all he did. Jesus, I want to be like you, but not in that area. And not in that area. And please not in this area, but all, no, also not that area. No, you want to be like Jesus? Then ask Jesus to help you in the tough times to actually sometimes just be silent. Even when you are right. 
So can I give you a definition of humility? Giving up your right to be right? Let's say that again. Give up your right to be right. I've wrestled with it. I struggle with it because when I know I'm right, it tears me apart. Do you know that Liverpool beat Chelsea today 2-1? Fact. All right? And then John comes to me and says, do you know that Liverpool beat Chelsea today 3-1? And I just get, I get, I get irritated. No, it was 2-1. No, it was, no, it was, and I realized, then I create difference with a friend over something because of my right to be right. It's so stupid. Who cares? Does it really matter? Maturing in the Holy Spirit will lead to mature fruit of the Spirit, which will help us to live the way. And then we can love our enemies and we can love our neighbors as ourselves.